On this episode of Let's Talk Drones, the podcast, I'm joined by Edgar Hurtado, who flies drones for DRG Incorporated, a land surveying company in Camarito, California. Edgar doesn't just fly drones for work, though. He also flies them for fun, including FPV. And you can find him on Instagram at fly underscore Rufus underscore fly. Edgar Hurtado joins us on the podcast today. What's up? It's Chris, the Drone Geek, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Drones, the podcast. I am so happy to be joined today by Edgar Hurtado. He is a land surveyor by trade, and he works for DRG Inc. as a drone surveyor. So he actually uses drones in his everyday job. You can find him on Instagram at at fly underscore Rufus underscore fly. So make sure you check him out there too. Edgar, how are you doing today, man? It's been a long time in the making, but I'm finally glad to have you here today. Yeah, I'm doing great today, man. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. It's a little hot here in Pennsylvania and the, the summers get very humid here. So I'm, I'm trying not to sweat <laughs> as much as I can. Uh, and at some point I may have to turn this fan off. That's right next to me. It doesn't seem to be a problem right now, but only time will tell on that. <laughs> so uh, it's pretty warm out here too. So I get it. Yeah. You're based in uh, Ventura County, California, correct? Yeah. So pretty much all of Southern California. I live in Ventura, California. Okay, gotcha. That's very cool. I, I've never been to that area, but I have been to California, been to LA. And uh, that was actually, that was a fun trip. But it, you know, it, it was a much different heat overall, uh, much more crisp than it is here in Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah, that's what I hear too. It just it does get uh, hot. If you go into the valley, it gets like, you know, in the hundreds. It's a little different. Yeah, um, that, yeah that's, but... that's rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even for me, I gotta get out of there early. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure that like, like here, Pennsylvania, I mean, I complain about it being humid, but by, you know, mid July, I'm going to be totally comfortable with, well, I don't want to say totally comfortable with it, but I'll at least be used to it by then. And I won't <laughs> complain about it as much anymore, but right. at coming out of spring and going into summer in the dog days of heat, I'm just like, eh, it's not for me. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, we, we have Edgar on today uh, because you are, you do something. So I have a lot of friends in the drone community uh, it's something that really brings a lot of people together from different walks of life. And it's actually been really enriching that way, meeting all the people I've met and talking to them. But it seems like I don't have a lot of diversity in what my friends do with their drones. Uh, most of my friends actually use them for photography and video, that, that face value purpose. But you go a layer deeper and you use it for mapping and rendering and things of that nature. And that's something that I don't think gets enough attention in drone media, uh, like podcasts and shows and stuff like that you don't talk a lot about that and i think it's a it's a part of the industry that's sort of lost on people uh because there's a lot of opportunity and i think that moving forward uh when you look at construction and architecture it's really going to be the place to be as far as being a part 107 pilot goes because it, it you can't just be some tom dick or harry doing that taking pictures you have to actually know what you're doing when you do that can you tell us a little bit about how long you've been flying drones in general, but how long you've been using them for mapping as well, and what goes into that and how you got started in that? Yeah, so I've been actually kind of messing around with drones for about three years now. Uh, so for about a little over five years, I've been uh, doing land surveying. And a little shortly, like three years into that job, um, my boss is like, hey, you know, um, we're thinking about getting a drone, so look into it. So he kind of just like threw it into my lap. So I've been flying that. Um, yeah, so been serving for five, flying for about the last three years, flying uh, commercially 
for like a little under two years for the company uh, because we didn't get like a drone right away to start mapping. I just kind of had one and was messing around and didn't start mapping, mapping. But for, I would say like a solid year and a half now, I've been like just strictly mapping with the drone for surveying purposes. That's very cool. And I mean, what goes into that? You know, that's that's something that I'm not even aware of. And I've been flying drones now for about four years. Um, but it, mine's been almost strictly photography. I do a little bit of rendering and mapping, but I don't know it the way you know it in that I can run it through a program and generate the map or generate the rendering or something like that. But I don't know what all of the data means. And that's, that's the side of things that you should get to know uh, if you're going to be offering services like that. Yeah, totally. So it does get a lot deeper than a lot of people. I think they buy like a Phantom 4 or they buy a, like a Mavic and stuff and they see that there's programs out there like drone deploy and stuff. And oh, check it out. I can make a map and I can program it and it, it flies that grid pattern, takes the photos, and then you can pretty much throw it into a program and then it'll stitch the photo together and create an ortho. It create a 3D image and you could you could get regular photos just from the drone and just put it in the program and render that up, but you really don't have uh, accurate numbers. So accurate elevations, accurate positions of buildings and uh, major monuments and stuff like that. It'll do a bad. bad job in stitching it all together, uh, but it's not really like uh, reliable data. Yeah, and that's, and that's where those RTK units come in. And they, I know that they sell them with the drones, but are there any, like, is that what you guys use? Or do you have your own, like, RTK, like, beacons and stuff like that that you actually set up and that interfaces with the programming or with the drone? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how that works, too? Yeah, so they have, uh, there's a, the RTK is like a GPS thing, and it, um, really it's like a high-precision GPS survey grade stuff. So the... We use a Phantom 4 RTK and we actually connect it to our base station, our Trimble base station, and we send it off. So it has like it's on a, a datum, like so uh, Southern California is on like a certain GPS zone. And you put basically, and, and the, the simplest way to explain it is you put all the information in the drone, and when you map it, when you send it off to do its mission, uh, it already has a nose uh, at sea level where it's at and where it's taking those photos. So all that data, all that GPS data is a lot more accurate in, that, in like an RTK GPS setting than like just a GNSS uh, Phantom 4. So correct me so if I'm wrong, like a, a, a DJI drone by, by out of the box, it, if you take off the, the positioning data, the telemetry, the, everything that goes into that, is relative to wherever the drone took off. Whereas with an RTK unit, that actually is able to decipher, okay, we started this many feet above sea level. So that means that the drone is at this height. It, that's correct? Exactly, that's pretty much. So that's like high precision, very accurate uh, flying for starters. So when it does complete that mission, it's in a, a very accurate way. Uh, but the information that it captures, once you kind of, once you uh, process that data in, in a program, like a mapping program, uh, that data is pretty much there. So it's at, at sea level. Um, it's going to give you perfect positioning for coordinates so you can you can render things up. That's, that's very, uh, very, very, that's very interesting because I think a lot of people just buy drone deploy or they buy, um, I, I forget what mine is even, it's like open mapper or something like that. That's what yeah, I yeah. use. Stuff like that, yeah. And you could totally, like I said, you can, you can buy a Phantom 4, uh, put that program on there create your mission and it'll go fly it and you can put those photos in drone deploy or in another processing and it'll create at the very least an ortho image 
Mm-hmm. And that seems to be fine for some people. You don't even have to be a land surveyor to do that. It could just be a contra- contractor saying like, hey, on this day, can you come out, you know, make that ortho image for me? Because I just need a snapshot of what that day looked like. I don't really care if it's off two feet or half or whatever, like in positioning. I just want that record or I just want that, you know, that photo for that day. Okay. Yeah. And that, that makes sense. And the way that I use the mapping for the most part, like I said, I still do 3D structure renderings and it's very much for that. If, if a contractor or a construction site wants just like a top-down image or they want a 3D rendering of the structure they're going to be working on just so they can sort of get an idea of what they're working with. That's, that's what a lot of people come to me for. But the other thing that I use it for that I don't think a lot of people think about is the mapping software basically takes the series of photos that your drone takes and stitches them together, as you were saying at the beginning. So when they need a, a surface area, a top-down shot of something that I can't get when going or, you know, when staying within that 400 feet limit, mm-hmm. I, I just put it at 400 feet. I plug in the waypoints that I need, take the series of photos as I go, and then have the mapping software stitch it together. So I get a pseudo top-down image of the area that I need without breaking any rules. Yeah, and that's technically you're technically mapping at that point, right? You're you're taking all those photos and the mapping programs mapping it, but it's not necessarily you can't really say like, oh, it's it's within this limit because you don't know. You don't have those restrictions in there. You don't you don't have the data to really stitch it together that accurate. Mm-hmm. So the difference between that and basically what I do is that we use our GPS unit to put pins, uh, targets in our area, our survey area. And so we put, um, usually it's typically around five targets and they each have a GPS point on them with very accurate elevation and very accurate uh, coordinates. So whenever I put those photos in my mapping program, I also put in that GPS data. So okay. When <laughs> together, when it stitches it together, it's, it's survey grade. And can you tell me a little bit about how that works? Because you say about putting the photos and the data in, do you put them in separately? Do you put them in together? You know, how does that all work? What does that process look like? Yeah, so you compile that data, uh, you put it together and you put it all in there at the same time. And then as it's processing the map, it, it uses all that information to stitch that map together, the uh, the 3D mesh together and all that stuff. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, the other thing I was going to say is the, that 3D that GPS unit is basically the, the big deal. So no, I don't think a single surveyor would, would uh, really accept your work if you're not using that, that GPS unit. So it's so those, or you could even use a GPS unit. You can combine that with uh, what's called the total station is what we use, which is that, that survey gun that you probably see people set up, you know, on the side of the highway. It's stuff. the tripod that has the thing and they're looking yeah, through Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but that, that thing is, is even more accurate than a GPS unit. So we can combine that data and the GPS data together and, and even get even tighter results. Okay, that's and that's good to know because I've actually approached surveyors before, like the idiot that I am sometimes, and said, hey, I offer mapping. And I mean, nine chances out of 10, they look at me and they go, we've already got a drone. But the that one time that I actually get through the door, then they ask me for the data and I'm like, uh, uh, yeah, oh, I don't have that, <laughs> you know? But- yeah, so, so if you are kind of looking to maybe uh, help out a surveyor, maybe there's like, an, um, I, would, I would say maybe like an old school surveyor that doesn't have or maybe he's been doing it a long time. He's just like, I'm not interested in learning how to use a drone. That was kind of that was kind of what happened at the office where I work. The guys they've been doing this for forever, and when the drone thing came up, they're like, Hey, it's all you. 
go in, <laughs> go figure it out, whatever it takes, go figure it out. So well, that's, that's basically that's that, what I had to do. <laughs> that was probably a very exciting day for you. I don't know what your level of interest was at that point in actually using drones on a day-to-day basis, but I'm sure that was exciting for you to have like not just this this fun thing that you can do because flying drones, whether you're doing it mapping, photography for fun, for work, whatever, is almost always fun in my opinion. Uh, but also like there's some real job security in that because the further we move forward in the future, I think the more we're going to be dependent upon some of these technologies. And I think drones falls into that category of technology that we as a society are going to depend on to make our jobs easier. Totally. I think we're, we're just seeing kind of the beginning of what drones are going to be capable of doing and, and helping us out. And I think even in the survey world, um, I'm pretty excited to see what comes out. You see all these drones with like the LIDAR units on them. And right now they're kind of pricey only the really big uh, engineering, engineering and survey firms kind of have them because they're like, I don't know, like hundred grand or some crazy thing like that. Uh, but you know, that technology is changing like year after year and it's getting cheaper, it's getting more compact. So I'm pretty excited. Like one day we'll actually have a LiDAR drone and that'll be pretty exciting. I think. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's a reality that I'm coming to grips with is that the technology is getting smaller and more compact. And it, that's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, I don't think it's a bad thing at all, because it makes it just that much more um, easy to bring along with you and to, to deploy. But the the um, I guess the the spectacle that is the bigger drones, like the Inspires, like the Matrices, like those drones, the the Altas, the Freefly Altas, those are the ones that like I've always wanted to fly because it's like you've just got this giant craft that you're piloting through the air, you know, from from a remote location. But moving forward, I I agree with you. I think that the technology is only getting more compact. You look at like what the SkyDO has to offer now, and all of a sudden they've got built-in programming so that it can do a 3D site render. It can do, you know, LiDAR, I think is with the X2 or something like that, LiDAR is offered. So there's lots of different options coming in this very compact drone compared to what we've had in the past. Yeah, totally. Uh, And it's funny you say that because that kind of stuff evolves, but at the same time, it's funny how DJI developed the Phantom 4. The Phantom 4 Pro, or even the Phantom 4 RTK, but the Phantom uh, 4 Pro series, like, that's an awesome drone. You, Plenty of, plenty of uh, surveyors have just the Phantom 4 Pro. That's essentially, that's kind of all you really need. Because as long as you're using those GPS points, that control, that really, really tight control, like, you don't really need an RTK, uh, Phantom 4 RTK unit. That's just, like, a really nice tool to have. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm not well-versed enough at all to know how much easier that makes the job. I'm assuming it just offers you more data so that you can get even more precise. Is that correct? The RTK? Yeah, because you can, you can hook up to like the satellite networks and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. Gotcha. That, and actually like the, uh, your base station as the survey tool, not, not the DJI RTK base and, station, like your actual instrument. And that that makes that makes sense that that would just be like an add on. But it it is funny how, uh, you know, somebody like you that's in the industry, and you already have the other tools at your disposal, is able to look at the the picture because somebody like me who I've never, I I don't have any experience with land surveying at all. So I look at it, and I'm like, well, I need that RTK unit, which for somebody like me, without the surveying equipment that you have at your disposal with your company, I would need that. That's a true, that's a reality. But for somebody like you, you look at it and you go, well, I've already got these units over here that can help me use just the regular Phantom 4 and get the most accurate data possible out of it. Yeah, so that, I mean, at that point, you're you're combining just um, drone information with survey information. You know, so you're, you're just combining that information, making the making them that tight and stuff like that. So 
Okay. The Final Four RTK is an awesome, awesome drone. I, I love messing with it, using it. Um, it's been awesome. But if you are like a surveyor looking into it, or you are helping a surveyor, you do, as long as you have that GPS unit, you can definitely uh, do a lot of work and save money. Because that RTK drone is like, uh, I think it was like nine grand. We bought it when it first came out, kind of. I think I was looking the other day at the, the Phantom 4 RTK and I, I think that the current price tag is right. It's like $8,600, which when you add tax, that's going to be over 9,000 yeah. at that point. So yeah, we kind of did. We, I, I, since I, I kind of got thrown into this and you know, I was looking at all these drones and stuff and I should have done a lot more research um, from the beginning. I was kind of sold by DJI, like, oh, the RTK is like the next survey tool. And we even have a base station with it and stuff. And it's like, oh, cool. That's like, that looks just like our base station. Like, and they're like, yeah, you can connect it. But, you know, like typical DJI uh, style, they're like, yeah, so you can use the base station, but you kind of have to, I think it's like, you can only use it in certain parts of Europe or like Asia or something. You can't use it in, as, an, as like an actual, you know, um, survey instrument like here in the States. So you can't like use it as a rover. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. That sounds like DJI. <laughs> so there's like a lot of stuff there that's like, the, the, the Phantom the RTK, uh, Phantom 4 RTK has like a lot of potential to be like this really awesome, cool survey tool. Um, but in all, at the end of the day, you can do the exact same job with the Phantom 4 Pro. That's, and that's valuable information, especially for people that are um, maybe in the surveying industry, land surveying industry, that are just sort of sinking their teeth into the drone technology. Because as you said, we're very much, I mean, it seems like drones are very mainstream and it's something that everybody has, but in terms of what they're capable of, I think we're only scraping the surface at this point. We're, we're in the very early days of drone technology and how it's going to be used moving forward. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. But in speaking of drones and uh, how the, how you use them in your day to day, uh, the thing that I wanted to touch on, we won't go into real detail, uh, just for the sake of, uh, we don't want anybody to get in trouble saying the wrong thing, especially not me, because I have no idea what I'm talking about with, yeah. in this particular regard. But the the trouble that I've had, and we've alluded to this in our conversation so far, is that I offer this service of mapping. And I say, I can assist with land surveying. And the reason that I say that I can assist with land surveying and not that I offer land surveying is because I'm not a licensed land surveyor, which I did my research in the state of Pennsylvania. You do need to be a licensed land surveyor in order to say that you offer land surveying services and then to sell those services. Um, it's different from state to state and not everybody, even people in the field necessarily need to know every single law or rule. But I do want to touch on how you got into land surveying, uh, you know, what kind of work goes into that, what kind of understanding you need to have of land surveying when you're, it relates to a drone, uh, because that's something that I overlooked. And I think a lot of other people overlook and they end up learning that lesson the hard way, hopefully not the hardest way by getting in trouble, but they learn it like going, crap, I just invested all this money and now I can't offer this service yet. So can you enlighten us a little bit on that journey for you? Yeah, so for, for me, actually, I, um, so I, like I said in the beginning, I started surveying like maybe five years ago. It was actually a, a friend of mine owns a company. I've known him for a long time, and he's like, you know what, I think, uh, I think you might be, you know, you might like surveying. You might be kind of good at it. You should come try it out. So I kind of helped him out for a little bit, and then I was like, yeah, man, surveying is kind of cool. So that's kind of where I started, and as, as he started out, as I started to learn more, you know, I learned that there's there's rules like you have to be a licensed surveyor to do this. Like um, if people 
you know, the biggest thing I think is like boundaries. So like property lines, like absolutely you need a license survey to do that. Uh, to make an, an accurate map and, and to put a stamp on it, like you need a license surveyor to do all that. But my job is more not, I guess technically you don't call me a land surveyor, even though that's what I'm doing every day. I'm a land surveying uh, technician. So the land surveyor, the guy with the license, the, the owner of the company that I work for, he's pretty much in the office. He, he looks over all our information, all our data that we get and all that stuff, and he double checks it. So I think that's kind of the big difference is um, I work for a surveyor where some people want to start a drone mapping kind of company, like offer drone mapping. But um, like you said, you have to be careful. You can't say, oh, I, I do land surveying with mapping or whatever. It's like, no, you can. You have, might have to call it something else. Like I, I, uh, I can assist, like, I don't know what you would even call that, like, how yeah, would you, uh, you know, you know, phrase it so that you're not including the word mapping or you're not including the word surveyor. You just want to let other surveyors say, hey, I have a drone. Um, I know how to map and I know how to, I know the right overlap and all that stuff. If you need assistance, I would like to help you. Because there's, I think there still might be surveyors out there that are just like, I don't have time to like learn how to drone and do all that stuff. I'd hire someone to go out there, fly the job for me, and then I'll take care of the data. Like, I'll take care of all the data. Yeah, and it's an interesting parallel too the way that you described your relationship with your boss, because it's sort of similar if you put it in drone terms to like, if a non licensed drone pilot flies a commercial mission, that's not okay, unless they have a remote pilot in command with their part 107. So yeah, exactly. it's, it's sort of a similar situation that way. Um, but the, the phrase that I use on my website, when I offer the service of mapping uh, is, I like to say, uh, and I, I got this cleared with a lawyer friend of mine just to like see, make sure that everything was good. And he said, you know, everything should be good. You wouldn't get any trouble that way. I say the mapping I offer assists in the surveying, the land surveying process. So I'm not saying I do it. And I think that that's, that's a place that I could have gotten into a lot of trouble if I'd said that I did it. Instead, I'm saying I contribute to that. I can contribute to that process so that you can successfully carry out that mission of surveying the land. Yeah, and I think a lot of a lot of drone pilots that are starting kind of like their drone companies do have a chance to kind of maybe find a surveyor or a surveyor will find them and be like, hey, I just need help with the drone. Like, can you help me out? And uh, like, you know, when we go on the field and we set up our, our total station and we're doing all that work, we do all that work, but it's nothing is is cleared unless a surveyor, licensed surveyor looks at it, looks at the data and says, yeah, that make that all makes sense to me. Like I would I would present that. Um, I guess to like a judge or something, right? Like I have my, I have my data is right. It's accurate. And I have faith in you guys. And that's, that's where you can help. So you can, you can work under a surveyor, but you can't like be the surveyor unless you are the surveyor. And that it's also <laughs> funny how it works. The shoes on the other foot in both scenarios. So we need to work for the surveyor, but also there's a, there's a level of, because we don't have the, like as a drone pilot for me anyway, uh, I don't have the knowledge and the resources currently to be able to go, I'm going to go and get my land surveying license, however long it takes, however much money or resources I need to invest in, and I'm going to do it At, on the same token a land surveyor that's not part 107 certified also sort of depends on somebody in like you said, in that same regard that knows how to fly the drone knows how to do it safely, and knows how to do it according to the FAA regulations. So and then they don't have to worry about maintaining that part 107 license as like a side thing. Uh, they right. can just hire somebody out that knows how to do it or bring them onto their staff and you know, have them in house doing it. 
Right. And I think that's how kind of those companies like, uh, I forget that name of that company where you hire drone pilots. Uh, yeah. Drone base. drone base. Yes. It's drone base. Yep. I haven't looked at that site in like forever. I just, but, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of where they make their money. Right. They just have a handful of part one to seven pilots and that know how to program them or the mapping missions, or maybe they just send them the, the mapping mission to them and they just go out and fly it. I don't know how you feel about this. This is sort of more just an opinion question for you. I, I don't know how you feel about websites or organizations like DroneBase, but uh, personally, I've never been for that. And the reason being is they diminish the value of what we do. Um, because they'll hire a drone pilot and say, okay, we'll pay you, uh, you know, I might be being generous here, but we'll pay you $25 an hour to go out and shoot this job. Uh, you know, it's a four hour job, you know, so you're making 100 bucks off of the, the, the work that you do over the course of four hours, which is nothing to scoff at, especially if you're doing it just as a side hustle, you know, that's actually pretty good money for something that you're just doing on the side. But, it, you know, as an independent drone operator, you know, especially if you have a skill to go with it, like video editing, like mapping, like, you know, anything like that, you can get a lot more for your time if you're doing it on your own. It's a lot more challenging because you don't have those leads being filtered into you. You actually have to do your own marketing then too and your sales. But if you're able to balance that, you, you know, you start to realize just how little companies like DroneBase value the time of a drone pilot. It's sort of sad. No, it's super. I'm actually, I think uh, it wasn't that long ago I got an email, like random email from them. I was like, whoa, DroneBase, like, I haven't heard from them forever. <laughs> But I had on the list on her that I, you know, I was I had access to a Phantom 4 RPK, and I get, apparently someone needed the information uh, from a Phantom 4 RPK. They strictly wanted a Phantom 4 RPK to to fly this site. So the site was like in Santa Maria, which is I think uh, like two, two and a half, three hours from here. And they're like, hey, just shoot a surprise, shoot a surprise. And I don't think I even gave them anything that expensive. It was just like the mission was only going to take maybe 30 minutes at the most, like setup time included and all that. The drive time was going to be a lot longer. So I just kind of factored into that, gave them a price and it wasn't, it wasn't that expensive. I think. And they're like, Oh, thanks. Yeah. We'll, we'll let you know. Kind of deal. Like, like you guys reached out to me. I was like, but yeah, it's, you guys don't realize I got to drive. Like that's pretty far away. I don't think they ever take consideration that, of that kind of stuff. So, and that I, uh, I, do you know, um, above Arizona, have you ever heard of her? She's on Instagram as well. And she follows me yeah. and she's, you, okay, so uh, her name is Amanda, and she is, I mean, one of the best aerial photographers I've ever met. Uh, she just does fantastic work. And we were talking the one day about how to structure the pricing in our businesses. And the question that we were sort of bouncing back and forth off of each other is, obviously, you charge for your time setting up your drone, flying it bringing it back and then editing or stitching together or whatever you do with that that information or with that those images you charge for all of that but how do you feel about charging a client for like their their time you know your, your time on the road I, personally just so that i can put my my cards on the table so it make you, you feel a little more comfortable about divulging your stance um i, I think it's totally warranted uh, i think if i'm going to take the time to actually drive to you and go to your location it, i should be compensated for that i don't necessarily charge to the mile um I think that's a little excessive, but I do have like a travel rate. So if I spend uh, more than 45 minutes or 30 minutes or 45 minutes on the road, uh, I charge X amount of dollars and then it just goes up incrementally depending upon how much time is invested in that traveling. Yeah, totally. I think if, um, yeah, if you're driving, especially if you're driving far away, you should totally figure it out. If it's, if the client's kind of weird about that, like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm paying for your travel time, whatever, 
then you just sneak it in there somewhere. <laughs> just kind of like add, you know, add a, a few bucks in or whatever you need for gas. Cause I mean, really the important thing is just getting to the job. Mm-hmm. So you, you gotta at least compensate yourself, compensate yourself like for the gas and, and maybe it'll be wearing tear. You can figure that out too. Yeah, one of the first- yeah, Definitely figure out a way to, to, to you know, if they don't outright pay for travel, then you got to find a way to kind of put it in the way. And that was one of the first hard knocks that I took. Um, I, I took a job, it was like one of my first ones ever. Uh, and I took a job that was two hours away. And, it, you know, I just charged the base rate. And my base rate was, I, I charged for what I offered, which wasn't very good at that point. Um, so my prices were low. And then I put that two hour car ride one way on top of that. I actually ended up losing about $35 in gas money uh, because yeah. I didn't charge enough. So I got my money for the job and then just put too much money in my gas tank and ended up losing money. And I was like, well, I think that's kind of how a lot of people feel like when they're first starting out, right? You don't want to like give up an outrageous price, especially when you're first starting out. You don't kind of, you don't really feel like a pro. You're just like, I just want the jobs. Like I want to be, uh, get those jobs in and get known and stuff like that, create those relationships. So you don't really want to like, I don't want to sound like I'm too expensive, especially since I'm first starting out, but you, you just have to think about it because or else you get, like you said, you're just going to be, you know, you're going to be out 35 bucks and that, that's 35 bucks in gas, you know, that, that can go away. So um, then that's, that's exactly yeah. it. I mean, that it, people I think are conflicted, especially I think on the photography side, um, because you, anybody can take a photo with the drone. I mean, I could hand the remote to my, you know, 87 year old grandfather after I've launched the drone, tell him to press the button and he's done what he needs to do. So literally anybody can do the photography and video, just the actual mechanical part of it. But that's where, right, the pricing changes because those those rates would be for somebody that's a little lower on the spectrum, but you start to get into the people that are able to frame things correctly and are able to move the shot if they're doing video just the right way and get the right shot and go through the right option obstacles that's where you're starting to pay for that that increase in yeah. quality yeah and you know what's funny I, i've been i've pretty much been in construction like since i was like 16 like summer jobs and stuff right so same thing goes with contractors like you, you see those contractors that are kind of cheap but they produce cheap work and some clients might be fine they're just like hey just fix it up because i'm selling this house just fix it up like keep the price low whatever so there's a clientele for that kind of uh, business too. If you're just starting out, there's maybe a realtor is just starting out too. So, you know, those prices are whatever, but there's, there's the more professional someone gets. So um, the more quality of, of drone photographs and videos that they're also going to want. So. No, absolutely. That price goes up. So, you know, that's kind of how it goes. So I, I, no, I think from the beginning, someone should, should definitely consider their travel time and any kind of like wear and tear or even like, Oh man, like, um, you know, I need a new battery or something, just maybe sticking a few dollars on the bill just towards a new battery. So you gotta, you gotta think about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's with any company really, whether it's photography or contract or whatever you're doing, like you gotta, you gotta figure that out because you're not in the beginning, especially in the beginning, you're not making any money. So no, <laughs> it took me, I want to say, uh, I mean, my first year, my business lost money. Uh, my my uh, sole proprietorship just that took a huge loss my first year. Um, Man, I tip my hat to you guys, the uh, photographers and videographers. Like that's a saturated business, and there's so many <laughs> out there. And, and it seems like, you know, people are like, "Oh, drones are cool. I'm going to buy one." And as soon as they buy one, they're like, "I'm a photographer now." Oh, I'm a photographer now I, I make videos now, and it's like that's fine. Like more power to you. But I was, but you know, that's. It, 
create this market where people are like, well, this guy, like, like you were saying, like this guy is only charging me 50 bucks for, for the day or whatever. And you're charging me 200. You're like, yeah, well, there's a difference. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And it's, it's sort of funny that you mentioned that because you know, when I, I moved to Lancaster about three years ago, and I, I started to real hard get real hardcore into the drone thing. I'd been flying for about a year uh, before I moved to Lancaster, and uh, took a little bit of time off, but then picked it right back up. And I started my identity on social media, uh, and actually went out and got a you know a, a business license for Drone Geek Productions. And you know, I felt like I was the only drone guy in Lancaster. Uh, that wasn't true at all. At all. Uh, there, there were a lot of other guys before me. So I'm sure they were looking at me the same way that I'm looking at these guys in the past, Edgar, in the, in the past, like, two weeks, I've had four new drone people pop up in Lancaster that I'm just like, you know, it, it, there's only so much room for drone photography and video. <laughs> you yeah, know? Same, thing, same thing with uh, here in Ventura, you know, uh, you have, you have the photographers that buy, you know, drones, and so now they're doing all the drone stuff. And then you just you see a lot of people just, you know, buy drones and they like it. So they're like, oh, well, I think it can start. And I'm not trying to say like, we have too many. It's just, it, like I was saying, I'm, I have respect for you guys, especially that kind of go the distance Like you go year after year and you're like, yeah, I'm still doing this because it's, it's like really competitive for the mm-hmm. video and like the photo stuff and you have to be good at it. So it's <laughs> like, I just do it as a hobby. So I, there's like no pressure there. Like what I post on Instagram strictly for fun for me to kind of just like relax and just do something and and uh but you guys actually have to like go out there and, and you know be competitive but at the same time like you know feed yourself <laughs> <laughs> well I, I appreciate the 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 respect and the, the the kind words but i'll tell you what the reason that i'm gonna say 70 percent of us just stayed in the photography and video side of things is because we're not smart enough to do what you guys are doing with the on the lancer bang side of things so you know right, I, no no I, that's what I, was ta- <laughs> I was talking to my friend before this i was like man i hope he doesn't ask me too many technical questions like before this, I, um, I was I was shoveling asphalt. I was on an asphalt crew. I didn't think I was gonna be, you know, working with survey equipment and drones and and drafting on AutoCAD and stuff like that. Like, I thought I was basically gonna be on an asphalt crew till forever. <laughs> Until you know, my buddy's like, hey, try it out. You know, you might you might be good at it. So definitely, you know, I don't I don't take for granted like that day specifically. Like, hey, come try it out because that's a huge help. But it's. The way I see it is if I can figure it out and a, a surveyor is like, yeah, your stuff is, I like your, your quality of your work. I like um, your data is, is good. We check our, we check ourselves and it's good. That's, you can, it, the one thing that always stick up uh, with me to my current boss always told me was like, if you want to learn how to survey, you're going to learn how to survey. So it's like, yeah, it, it does get kind of hard. There are some tricky parts to it. Um, there are some times where I have to like, okay, I got to figure this out. And, spend a few hours figuring out something I never had to work with before. Um, but, you know, the way I see it is if you want to do it, you'll, you'll figure it out. And there's plenty of information, especially for mapping. There's so much stuff out there. Like, I don't need to sit here and be like, oh, you know, if you want to get an accurate map, you got to do this, you got to do that. There's tons of information out there. Because that's how I learned it. Like, tons of YouTube videos, um, a bunch of, you know, some Indian guys that you can barely understand that, seem to only be the only ones that want to kind of like give away information. (laughs) So you listen to the, you watch those videos over and over and over again. And then, uh, you know, then you do find, like I I signed up for the the drone you website for a while because they, 
have some specific stuff on mapping on there. And that's kind of when my skills got better. But honestly, with the drone mapping thing is once you get your basic knowledge down on how it works, it really comes down to trial and error. Every job site is different. So you have to figure out your mapping routes a little different. Uh, you might have to change your elevations depending on how big your job site is. You, you want to keep your photos at a certain amount because uh, you don't want to burn up your computer. Maybe your computer's not that. So all that stuff is you got to figure out mm -hmm. pretty much because there will be tons of people to give you advice on that stuff. But when it, at the end of the day, you show up at the job and you got to figure out how to make it work and you got to bring back uh, those results. So that's kind of like, it goes back to you being a, a drone photographer and videographer. Like, yeah, it's tough and it's it's really competitive and it seems like everyone with the drone is doing it, but the the commitment is kind of what sets you apart from everyone else. Around. Oh, I 110% I agree with that. That's that's a, a lesson that I've learned, not just in drones, but over life. I, and the, the way that oh. your boss said about surveying, I, I really like that. He's just very blunt, black and white about it. If you want to learn how to survey, you'll learn how to survey. Um, yeah. That's that's a way that I try to live my life. So that's that's really useful. And I think that that's something that's lost on people that get involved with drones and try to create a business out of it, whether it's photography or whatever that you're trying to do with your drones is it, you're going to have to learn by trial and error at some point, you might be able to pick up information along the way, but it's, you know, there are going to be some moments where you just got to give it a shot. And if it doesn't work, you go back to the drawing board and figure out what went yeah. wrong and how you avoid that the next time. Yeah. And just a little side note on that, like you were saying, as you go, you, you, you need to figure stuff out. Um, issues come up with the drone, like, well, I've never seen this screen before. Like, what is that? Or something like that, you know, or, or just some kind of obstacle. Um, what helped me a lot too is being part of like, well, like I told you, I was, I signed up for Drone U and they have a, a Facebook group page and there's everybody that signed up is on that page and there's a few surveyors in there. So you're able to kind of ask specific questions like, Hey, have you guys ever run into this before? Or I got a job site and it's kind of, you know, hard for me. What do you guys recommend? So there's usually someone in there and especially with the technical stuff, like, hey, I can't connect my drone to, you know, the satellites or whatever it is that you're doing. There's, and, and that's kind of like you have to be part of Drone U to be in that. But there's also like the Phantom 4 RTK uh, group. And there's a lot of surveyors in that group, which has been cool because you ask a question and it could be related to the drone or it could be related to the uh, method that you're surveying. So like your, um, your control points, your targets or stuff like that, or even just like a, a survey question and there, there's surveys and there's surveyors in there that will answer your questions so it's kind of cool there's the information is out there and uh you just got to kind of take advantage of it all you got to find it and then take advantage of it and you know definitely ask ask questions i know it's hard it's scary to ask questions online especially on facebook oh you shouldn't oh you don't know this kind of like oh well actually you're doing it all wrong it's like yeah it's not the kind of information i'm looking for but but there are some some people that are just kind of like yeah like I've, I ran into that before so just kind of yeah and I do all the information. We've got about 15 minutes left. So I just want to lay out. Um, I do want to ask you a little bit more about what you do for the hobby side of things, because I, I want to get to know you a little bit that way, too. And it's also going to bridge nicely into reminding people that are listening right now. 
about your Instagram because you've got some really cool stuff on there that I think people should see and you should be more well exposed out in the drone community because you do good work. But the one quick question I have for you relates to drone U. So I've talked to several different people that have done uh, remote pilot ground school. They've done drone U, they've done remote pilot 101, you name it. They've done some sort of an academy to learn how to fly and then how they can use their drone, uh, you know, in the career. So do you, you know, do you endorse a service like drone you, uh, you know, what, what can people expect when they sign up for that type of a service? And, uh, you know, would you recommend it to other people? Yeah. I mean, it, it worked for me. So if it worked for me, I would definitely recommend it to some people. Um, it's, uh, I guess, what was your question again? I'm kind of like, <laughs> I didn't really word it that well. That's my fault. So my no, question no. is, is, you know, it worked for you. So I guess I sort of have my answer there. Would you recommend um, people that are just getting into flying drones sign up for some sort of a service like that, like drone you or like remote pilot 101, something that will help them learn the ropes right up front? Because some people look at it, the cost, and they scoff at it. And they're like, I'm not paying that. And then on top of it, more money for my part 107 and any other licensing that I need. But at the same time, it sounds like you get a lot of useful information out of it. Yeah, I think there's always room for like legit schooling, right? Like you, you can't go wrong with that. Like these, uh, from what I know, from what I've seen, and then I've been with, I've kind of learned a lot of stuff from Drone U. They, the guy, the guys know their stuff, and uh, so you're gonna learn something from theirs. And YouTube videos and like all that stuff, it's great and it gets you started. But once you start getting into like the nitty gritty, you know, technical stuff, like you, you need someone with a lot more information. And Drone U is kind of like there because we talked about the Facebook group. So you kind of get to talk to someone and, and you could even like send them questions and stuff. So it's, 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 uh, I think there's more, a little bit more information to be learned from, from stuff like that, like drone you and like pilot. That's oh, yeah, that, that's a good endorsement. And I, I think people also get spooked too. I'm a part of a few Facebook groups that are like FAA part 107 certified pilots yeah. or insert name here. And what happens a lot of the time, especially in the part 107 groups, is you get actual pilots, people that are manned aircraft pilots will get in there. And they just they might also have their part 107. But they really talk down to people that have their part 107. And they refer to themselves as a drone pilot. Uh, and I think that's yeah, people. Yeah, I also heard like pilots like, Oh, why do you why do you drone pilots? Why do you call them pilots? It's like, I don't know, read the dictionary. That's what a pilot is. But <laughs> but I don't really know what the big deal is. It's a, I, I think that's just like, you know, pilots have this kind of like prestige kind of thing. It's, it's pettiness, I think. Um, and it's not uh, every pilot's guilty of it. I know some that are just like the same way. They're like, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, but absolutely. The, the only, yeah. I mean, I don't want to say the only difference because uh, I'll be the first to admit and I'm a, I'm a drone pilot. I call myself a drone pilot. But I'll be the first to admit, a manned aircraft pilot has a much higher level of responsibility and higher level of skill required to actually fly their aircraft. But to say that drone pilots aren't pilots, I think, is just overstepping what's courteous and what's actually true. Because I'm pretty sure that the certificate, the little card that you get when you get Part 107, says license on it. I'm almost certain it does. Yeah, I think it, well, at the very least, I think it says, like, you uh, AUS pilot, whatever, right? Or UAS pilot. I have mine here. I'm going to check yeah, it real quick. Somewhere. I'm going to have to go in there. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, mine says remote pilot. So, yeah, yeah. so remote pilot, like, that's what that's what they call the pilots that, like, you know, they fly, like, the 
the military drones and stuff. They call them remote pilots. So they're kind of like in a, uh, in a, uh, what it looks like a shipping container and they're controlling the drone from there kind of deal. Yeah. So remote pilots, I guess the, the biggest difference is like, we're not inside that aircraft. Right. So we're not like, oh, our life depends on us, like, you know, to have everything right. All our checklists and stuff like that. So yeah, I get, I get that we're not up 2000 feet, 3000 feet, whatever. Mm-hmm. We're not in the aircraft. Uh, they obviously have to deal with a lot more safety stuff and stuff like that, you know, but our drone, the drones is just a different aspect of, of aircraft. It's just a different aircraft. It is. And I, 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 a lot of guys that are like the model aircraft people, um, people that have been flying model aircraft and RC aircraft for years and years and years now, they got upset when the FAA stepped in and started to make rules about what they can and can't do. But the fact of the matter is, you might see it as just a model aircraft, but you know, when you've got quadcopters and you've got, uh, you know, fixed wing and you've got all these different aircrafts flying through the air, sharing the airspace together, and that number keeps growing exponentially year over year, right. you have to have some sort of rule set in place. And the only people that can really govern it is the FAA. I mean, they're the ones that control the airspace. Yeah. And then just, I mean, just think about what the future is going to hold. Like, like we see that guy on his hoverboard, like that kind of dumb but yeah we see that guy guy on a hoverboard so we don't know what kind of technology is going to come out in the future where people might be the next manned aircraft like individuals manned aircraft small zooming around town or something right so there's just going to be more drones there's going to be more aircraft it all kind of has to get integrated somehow so yeah, I, I totally agree. But um, we are running short on time here. We've got about eight minutes left. I want to talk a little bit about what you do as a hobby. Can you tell me, you know, I, I like to talk to every pilot that I have on the podcast about some of their favorite locations they've shot. Uh, tell me a little bit about what people can find on your Instagram channel in terms of content and what your favorite thing to do is, as well as what type of a drone you fly uh, when you're flying for fun. Just give us a little idea as to who the actual Edgar is uh, when he's not working for uh what is it uh, it's uh drg incorporated yeah yeah so uh yeah it's funny that that kind of the videos and the photography came after the surveying stuff so i know it's kind of vice versa most of the time <laughs> it is yeah. <laughs> i kind of just fell in love with with drones just flying drones and taking cool video uh, getting good cool footage and video and photos and stuff um i fly a uh a mavic 2 um, Mavic, yeah, Mavic 2 Air. I I fly a few FPV drones that I have. I think I have one, two, three, four. I have like four now at this point. So that's kind of what I what I fly with mostly. It's just um, if I'm getting photos, it's with the uh, Mavic Air 2. If I'm getting some cool footage, it's with the FPV drone. What do um, you fit, What do you outfit your uh, FPV drones with to get your video? I have uh, a GoPro, so I have a GoPro 7 Black and I have a GoPro 9, the new one. I also have an Insta, the Insta360 Go. So it just depends on the size of the quad. I have a three inch quad, I have a five inch quad and stuff like that. Yeah, that's kind of, like I said in the beginning, like the Instagram is just for fun. It's like my fun videos. It's mostly stuff around town. I'm hoping that now that COVID's kind of cleared up a little bit, I'm hoping to travel soon so I'll get some cool footage because uh, I need a vacation anyways. But <laughs> some, some cool footage uh, on vacation, some road trips and stuff like that. But mostly it's stuff around town uh, right now just because I, I sometimes I, fl- I could fly before work or after work and then, um, and then to edit all that stuff kind of takes time too because I don't have a lot of time because I'm, you know, I'm mapping all the time. So 
Yeah. And I think that's the side of things that people don't see uh, when it comes, not just drone uh, video and photo, but just any video and photo in general. Uh, you know, uh, people are used to seeing the finished product, but they don't see all the work yeah. that goes into getting that finished product. And it's quite a bit usually. Totally. Yeah. I mean, the, between the editing and, and kind of splicing things together. And then not only that, if you're flying FPV, you're constantly trying to figure this out. Like, why will my remote bind or when did I fall out of the sky? And then if I, you know, run into the tree, now you're fixing your quad all the time and you're soldering stuff, new motors. So that's part of the fun too. So if you're not ready to do that, like maybe you shouldn't FPV. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to get with you because uh, on my channel, a couple, a few videos back, I announced that I'm going to be getting into FPV and I'm actually going to do oh, a yeah, Let's Build. Right. Uh, which yeah, I'm I saw that video and I was like, dude, that's going to be awesome. Like, I can't wait to see your FPV stuff. Yeah, and I've seen them on YouTube everywhere, but the most famous Let's Build that I followed along with was by Chris Bardwell. And I, I've been studying his channel and the stuff that he puts out on his website feverishly, trying to figure out my way through how I'm going to get this started. Um, but I'll have to touch base with you because I've got a lot of support from a few different people that fly FPV. Um, and having some input from you would be fantastic. Jordan's one of them, a uh, buddy of mine, Forevermore Media on Instagram. He's helped me out a lot. Uh, Enhanced Aerial in uh, Milheim, Pennsylvania has just been fantastic. So I'll touch base with you uh, because I'm definitely going to need help on it. And maybe I'll even bring some of you guys in for the Let's Build like on a live stream. Uh, and oh, we can sort of yeah, cool. talk through it together. I think that'd be kind of fun. Right. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, you were talking about like, you, you probably had to get your ham radio license and all that. Yeah. That's uh, that. That's the thing. And so I talked to a couple of different people, those guys, and then some other people in the FPV community. And they said, if you're flying for fun, and nobody's really going to check you on that. Uh, they said, but if you're going to start flying commercially, you do need to go out and get your ham radio license because people should. will check you, you on should, that. As soon as possible, because you have your part 107, so you might as well. Exactly. And they said, the, if you can pass the part 107, you can pass the ham very easily. Um, it, although that's not been my experience so far with some of the practice tests I've taken. I've, I'm, I'm still very much new to that. <laughs> so we'll see. Only time will tell. But that, I do have to you'll get that taken out. care of first. Uh, you'll figure it out. I know. Uh, I appreciate the vote of confidence. We'll see. <laughs> But Edgar, uh, we are out of time, man. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I have to cut this short. We put the Jordan handworker rule in so that we don't go any longer oh, than yeah, yeah. an hour no, or so. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. I wish we can talk more about mapping and all that because we can go all over the place with drones and stuff. So it's well, I'll tell you what, we'll have you on again. Um, I, I talked about bringing Jordan on for this episode, uh, but he was busy. He had work stuff going on. But uh, and I wanted to get to know you one on one anyway. So maybe we'll bring you in and we can do, you know, a, a, a three way podcast and have him on as well. Uh, yeah, but yeah, awesome. I, I definitely want to have you on again so we can talk a little bit more about mapping if you're interested. Uh, but for those of you that maybe just picked up on this point of the podcast or whatever the case may be, maybe you just fell asleep at the beginning, uh, you can find Edgar at fly underscore Rufus fly. Un, I'm sorry. Fly underscore Rufus underscore fly on Instagram. Make sure you check him out. And if you need any help with surveying, getting into that side of things, really nice guy. I'm sure he'd help you out if you message him on there. Just make sure you give him a follow on Instagram to make it worth his while. Uh, Edgar, it's been great having you on, man. We will definitely have you on again in the future. And until next time, I'm Chris, that's Edgar, and we are out of here. <laughs>